Yeah, we go. Are you ready? C-O-C. Why you dealing with a cyber trap? When you know you gotta hear it right, yeah. You are not alone, don't do it by yourself. Get you some defense, will help. Uh, if you know you want the cyber free, come and get you some COC. Satisfying controls, lock them access points. We won't disappoint. COC, cyber threats. Promise C, you will no regret. We go deep and penetrate. COC, come and see. Hey, 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 welcome to a special episode of Crump on Cyber. My name is Jeffrey Crump. I will be your your uh, your guide, your Sherpa, uh, as we kind of uh, work our way through this special episode focused on this recent uh, breach and attack against MGM. Uh, what we've got here is we've got a nice panel discussion. We've got a, an excellent group of uh uh, experts are going to jump on the call here, and we're going to explore this uh, attack, really kind of lay down, well, how did it start, who's involved, um, uh, and, and, and get to a level to kind of, you know, maybe understand some of the technical components of there, but explain it to a level that pretty much hopefully anybody really can kind of understand. So the nature of the attack, how it kind of played out, what do we know about what's happening today? Because obviously there's an, we have an ongoing kind of a situation here. And then uh, highlight maybe some of the uh, areas where organizations like MGM are maybe just kind of missing some of these fundamental things that are opening the door for these, you know, really bad things to happen. And then ultimately what we uh, would expect to kind of see in an organization is some guidance, some governance, some kind of a leadership function here around, hey, these are the things we need to do. Here's the resource to do that and make sure that things are happening. And when that's not happening, when we see these kinds of things, then we have to ask ourselves, well, where does that accountability lie in an organization? So uh, let me bring on our uh, experts here. I'm going to bring on uh, everybody. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, welcome to uh, Crump on Cyber. Cyber. Thank you. Good All right. Yeah, brilliant. So, uh, yeah, thank you for being here. Um, so what I'll ask you to do is we'll kind of go around the horn, maybe just some some brief introduction about yourself and your background and and then we'll 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 get into the meat of this thing. So, uh, Bob, would you mind kicking us off? Yeah, th thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. Uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us on a Saturday. Uh, Bob Zukas, founder and CEO of Digital Directors Network, um, adjunct professor at USC Marshall, uh, retired PwC management consulting partner. Um, we, what DDN does is we're 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 a uh, curated membership group of some of about 1,400 of America's leading CIOs, CISOs, corporate directors, and we're working at the governance level to build the practice and profession of digital and cybersecurity risk oversight. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, thank you. Uh, Srinu. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. Very nice uh, you know, meeting you, Bob, Emily, and the rest of the people online. My name is Srinu, Srinu Prasnuri. I'm actually a CISO for Abstract Corporation, as well as, you know, we're actually uh, coming up with a disruptive solution around DevSecOps uh, uh, in the name of DigitalOps. So I think uh, I have 
there's a 25th year I'm in this domain, uh, passionate about security and, you know, kind of uh, went through all the, you know, complete life cycle of roles and responsibilities around this domain. So very nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Srino. And then Ernie. Good morning. My name is Ernie Edmonds, and uh, thanks for having me back this soon. I know it's only been a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, my background, I'm a uh, essentially a lifelong 30-year offensive security person, and uh, I'm currently with uh, CMTC, which is the uh, the NIST MEP for the state of California. Um, I, uh, I do security there. I've been all over the world with security, though. And um, yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, brilliant. So Ernie, maybe you, you start us off. Uh, can you kind of lay out okay so what's happened when did this start who you know who's involved in this uh in in this attack what do we kind of know and do me a favor because we've got a variety of skill sets and folks listening um if you get technical you know maybe go to the next level and kind of (laughs) explain well why is that important right why do we care about that kind of a thing just so everybody really can got a good sense of of uh you know what we're talking about here sure so this started out on sunday night that we know of we believe that they have that the attackers it's a russian organization um of course it's russia um we believe that they were cased in the place for a couple of weeks prior to the actual attack gaining information and if you look at the the attack wheel the attack cycle then you know intelligence gathering is uh, the first part of that um after you pick a target so we think that they were taking a look around and they use social engineering on sunday night and they called the help desk. social engineering it's just it's manipulating the person um, you know, people, they, they are not security focused in general. Uh, even the ones who are, uh, security focused often, uh, are not security focused all the time and they'll let their guard down and then wham, there's a social engineering attack for them. But we believe that, uh, the help desk was called and this person, uh, talked to the help desk and convinced them that they were either an employee or a contractor or somebody that need had a legitimate need to be in the systems at MGM. So the help desk granted them access. Within about 10 minutes, they had completely owned the place. This indicates uh, that there could be a lack of segmentation because if you have adequate segmentation, then uh, you know, you'll be able to detect things quicker and be able to respond to those. Uh, segmentation is just uh, having, in this case, network segmentation, possibly system segmentation. Uh, and that's another thing. We, we really don't know how the systems are set up at MGM, but this indicates that potentially everything's linked, whether that would be with LDAP authentication or whatever that would be. It, it would be very hard, in my experience, to, um, to be able to own the place as they did within 10 minutes. Uh, without a couple of things going wrong. So the first one, again, segmentation, having you know the distributed systems, distributed networks, distributed authentication models to where once you get into the system, you don't have just full access to, to everything. The next thing that it indicates to me is a lack of machine speed orchestrated response. So somebody gets in, the detection first you have to to see all the all the things that are going on so you know they probably have that who knows but then you have to detect what's wrong and then since this is a machine speed actor they they deployed what we believe to be a ransomware agent which is you know it's machine speed so without a machine speed response by the time a person gets a text message or an email or something like that 
it's it's impossible to respond. You're, you're already way too late. You're already cooked. So a machine speed response is warranted for this machine speed actor, but then you have to come together and bring that into an orchestrated response plan <clears throat> to where you don't have you don't have a person engaged when you're trying to bring together multiple technologies. Um, you know whatever that would look like. Again, we don't really know what uh, MGM looks like inside, but. There are a lot of these things that are adding up to this was a, a really effective um, compromise and it didn't necessarily need to be. Great. Thank you for that. So I've, I've seen mixed uh, really kind of feedback on the level of sophistication of this threat actor. Uh, I've heard people say, well, it's a, a pretty easy attack that they pulled off and was, didn't take a lot of uh, technical sophistication. Is that the case or do we do we really have a, 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 a truly an advanced uh, a persistent threat here that we're dealing with? Or we dealing don't with? know. They haven't really acknowledged a lot. As of uh, Saturday morning, some of the systems are back up. Uh, most of the systems are not. Um, and the attackers are threatening further exploit. So apparently they still have a foothold or at least a foothold in the organization uh, and they, they are threatening more damage. Um, so we just, we really don't know what, uh, what technologies were used. We know it was a ransomware variant. We know that social engineering, or we believe that social engineering based on the news and the reporting uh, has been used. Um, if you think back to, you know, the nineties, Kevin Mitnick, he was um, such a social engineering genius. Uh, and very effective at that. Um, and that that seems to be how they actually got into the system, which is, it's very simple. It's just a con job. You know, if you can get somebody to believe it, especially Americans, we we are a very friendly society as a whole, and we are very receptive to suggestion and we try to help. And that is the opposite of a security mindset. Um, mm -hmm. Some people, you know, they say security people are, you know, kind of jerks, but um, the opposite of that is the security person can't be effective in their in their profession. All right, so uh, so we've got an advanced persistent threat or advanced threat actor figures out some way to kind of con their way into the system and then, you know, what, goes in, digs around for a while, lays low behind, you know, below the radar, exfiltrates some kind of in, uh, information to, you know, potentially use in a second wave of, of uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking advantage of the the victim and then on kind of on the way out uh executes this kind of a, a ransomware kind of a thing is that pretty much the the fundamental kind of process Maybe. that they went through and now we're kind of seeing the back end of that yeah, we're just we're speculating, so we don't really know. But if I were going to look at an attack similar to this, I would um effectively in the beginning do exactly what they did. I would try to get access. And this is something that happens every day, all day to companies everywhere. So um, to think that, oh, I'm not a target because I don't have anything, you have something, you know, you exist. So you have something that somebody's interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would have come in very similarly. I would have, um, you know, tried to social engineer. Um, once I get a foothold into the system, then I would probably look at where I can go. Um, even with regular user uh, access, one thing that this tells me is uh, whitelisting of applications was not employed because you know now the ransomware can't execute if on a system if it's not uh, whitelisted or allow listed. So um, 
that that's another control that you know it doesn't look like was there so once i am in the system i can put down my application it's going to spider out and it's going to find what it can do what it has access to and then that's the ransomware part sometimes as an attacker you use ransomware to cover what your actual primary motivation was so maybe the the primary motivation was people records, you know, health records, whatever that would look like. Who knows? You know, I'm speculating. I don't want to say that you know MGM's got a real problem with you know something like that. But often ransomware is used, like you're saying, going out the door to hide what the real problem was or what the real target was. So again, we don't know. The FBI is on it. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in the FBI. They have proven themselves, especially the ones in like Manhattan and uh, Los Angeles. Um, they are really competent um, security professionals. So I think that they're probably doing what they can and the best thing they can do after the fact. This is clearly in, in a situation where an ounce of prevention would have beaten a pound of cure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're just speculating again, so we don't really know. But yeah, uh, ransomware is often used to hide the actual um, the actual intent. Great. So Serena, this, you know, if they're starting off with something fundamental like, a, 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 you know, a, a voice a phishing attack, a vishing attack, you know, trying to convince somebody over the phone. It feels like that's probably a pretty fundamental kind of a skill set, a security awareness kind of a thing that that we would expect to see in an organization. So are does it feel like there's some foundational elements, some basic stuff that um, just on the surface from from what we know uh, that just isn't in place or wasn't in place for MGM? Absolutely. I think the very fundamental thing, which I think, you know, by reading all these things and by you now listening to Emily about, you know, the basic things are actually not right. For example, when someone calls a help desk, you know, for either to gain whether malicious or non-malicious is not even known, but you have the similar responsibility or same accountability in terms of actually verifying that the person is legitimate and they are having a legitimate requirement. And what are methods and balances which are there to verify that, you know, it is the person who is actually calling. So, for example, I can call anybody and I cannot actually simply con them unless actually they give me the trust, which I'm actually able to, you know, kind of convince them to give me. So what happened here was they were clever in terms of actually able to uh, make that kind of a very simple, not so sophisticated, uh, you know, simply voice call based, uh, you know, uh, um, access gain. But I think more importantly, what I actually think, you know, rightly mentioned that, you know, the network segregation is completely you know, seems to be questionable here, but more than that, the dwell time, you know, how much time this adversary got on the infrastructure, you know, on the landscape is very, very crucial. They have ample time in addition to, uh, you know, uh, able to con them that, you know, you're not traceable, you know, you're within the system, but you're not actually looked at by these monitoring systems, people and all these processes which are existing. And you are actually underlying yourself uh, and by completely, you know, uh, you know, traversing around all those compromises, which actually in terms of uh, privilege, you know, gain and all those things were happening and nobody was actually suspecting because none of your systems were actually allowing you to be able to do anything. And the machine speed, I think that is the right word used by Emily, you know, at that speed, you have very, very, you know, minimal chance unless your proactive measures were actually in place in the terms of actually, you know, segmentation, you're allowing, uh, you know, correlations which are happening at the machine speed as well to be able to actually, you know, to, uh, what actually we can do uh, with that lightning speed attacks. But 
as a CISO and looking at all these, uh, you know, implementations and stuff like that, three things which I think you know, are fundamentally completely not there. The user awareness, people are the reason why all these, uh, you know, all these attacks can happen at a, you know, at an easy uh, way. So people, the trainings, awareness, uh, the process, uh, you know, awareness or any other checks and balances is definitely missing. Network segmentation and also about, you know, the privilege access management, you know, when someone gains whatever level access they got to be able to lateral move and actually escalate to the level of, you know, threatening to this extent is a very, very, you know, eye opening kind of a fact here, you know, at lightning fast speed, they were able to not only just gain certain privilege, looks like they got every privilege in, in the system, including email servers, everything seems to be gone. So that means they have so much intelligence about the organization already. So they have a blueprint, they got access, now that's it, you know, they have, they know everything. They just, uh, we were thinking they're blind, but they are now having complete information with them. And more and more time they are spending in the system, they are able to actually, you know, further go and, you know, uh, violate those uh, vulnerabilities which actually are there, compromise those systems further and strengthen their, uh, you know, role to be able to actually, you know, threat, uh, create bigger threats and actually, you know, uh, challenge the company to be able to react. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, so you've got this organization. I know that you're a, a cyber crisis management uh, a leadership professional, a C2 MLP. Um, yeah. How, you know, how does, what's the response been like? How, you know, how, in your you know opinion, how, from what we've seen or we've heard, uh, does it feel like, how effective it has the actual crisis leadership uh, response been, been to this? Yeah, and I, I think that's a very good uh, question, uh, Jeff. See, fundamentally, cyber crisis is not just about you know incident response actually. So handling several other aspects together, simultaneously actually keeping tab on everything which is supposed to be happening in the uh, you know in a way it actually a cyber crisis management demands rather than you know IR is actually a technical you know you're only focused on doing certain things. But here in this case, I think you know. There are a few fundamental things are missing. I think I remember one of the conversations which you have told us in that session was about you know how to how to actually imagine what all the possible uh, base and means these crises is actually you know spreading and actually what all those containing you know uh, aspects in terms of people, process, and technology can be deployed here. And I, I I see another thing here. You know the way it is actually communicated. You know we hear everything. You know somewhere I read that you know this adversary has information. You know, for several months they were already there in the system, and this is only a you know a last-minute revolution that you know they got into a th simple through a social uh, engineering technique in, in, inside. But it looks like you know there are some other paper I read which says you know they have months spent already in the system, not only just you know uh, with intelligence, but uh, they had access to it to be able to do the level of you know distraction they are actually doing today. So I think cyber crisis management is mis widely misunderstood even today. Uh, I think you know a lot of education has to happen. A lot of and one more thing I would like to add here is I don't think when was the last time they have actually conducted their business continuity testing. Mm. When they have actually tested their readiness for such a level of crisis, yeah, I don't think you know uh, they, uh, if they would have actually had uh, that frequent or a periodic uh, uh, you know readiness test like that, they would have been in a better situation. I I, I assume because you know things. Would have been actually aligned to be able to uh, you know correlate and actually respond better yeah brilliant thank you uh, so bob so you know clearly you know we're we're spanning you know all the way from 
you know, some governance function, setting some kind of a strategic capability. So maybe kind of speaking to what Serena was talking about there, having some type of a mature incident response, cyber crisis management capability all the way down into, you know, ensuring that these fundamental types of things are happening. Where does that sit from the from the board perspective and the executive leadership from your perspective on this? Yeah, and let me frame my response to that with the, uh, the the comment that this is systemic cyber risk. This is exactly what we've been beating the drum about for six years. This was, a, I believe, a sophisticated uh, systemic strategy uh, and a uh, an example of uh, systemic weakness within their complex digital business system and how this is unfolded and cascaded. And that's increasingly what we're seeing, right? The solar winds attack. You know, the strategy there was not to impair solar winds. It was to leverage solar winds into 10,000, 20,000 other com- companies. And, and so, so the hackers have figured this out. They figured out that the system in and of itself is the weak point. But the problem is we're not viewing risk systemically. We're not defending ourselves systemically. And so you see these kind of cascading failures. They, they get in with a very simple vulnerability, which is often the case. Uh, and then it starts to cascade. Reservation systems go down. Restaurant reservations go down. You can't get into your room. Gambling systems go down. That is their business. You've got this significant level of cascading impairment. And that that's fantastic for the hackers because it's going to get them paid. You know, the broader the uh, the impact surface, the more likelihood, uh, the more likely it is that they're going to get paid. I'm, I'm I'm curious about whether they made or they will make more money on the ransom or whether they're making more money on shorting the stock because the stock's down three billion six seven percent uh, on uh, the through this incident over the last week. And so, so that issue goes to the role of the board as a part of that system. And the board is a critical part of every cybersecurity system. Uh, unfortunately, it's a, often a weak part of the system. Uh, and the, the way we look at the controls, that, and the board's a control, the way we look at the components of the control at the governance level, do you have director skills that understand these issues? How is the board organized? And what's the board's approach to risk oversight? Do they understand digital opportunity risk, cybersecurity risk, and systemic risk. Those are three very, very different things that they have to govern um, and manage. Uh, And, you know, you can't govern and manage what you don't understand. And unfortunately, MGM, uh, they disclose almost no cybersecurity expertise or experts at the board level. They have cybersecurity risk oversight thrown into the uh, kitchen drunk drawer of the audit committee, which many companies do, which don't give it enough airtime or uh, the uh, focus by the right people. The, their disclosures are actually pretty good, though. They articulate some really impactful dependencies upon their information system, which even makes it worse. So they understand the the the, the dependency they have on their complex digital business system for everything from people, you know, pulling a slot machine handle on the, the gaming floor uh, to how they get into their room. But it, it, it they, they should have known better why they're playing literally Russian roulette with this issue at the board level and not setting that effective tone at the top is a mystery, but that's the the mystery that uh, exists at the governance level for the vast majority of American companies and companies uh, around the world. Uh, To to Sridhu's point, and I'll pause here in a moment, if you read their disclosures, 
they they document some really effective leading practices on this stuff. Um, incident response plans in place. Uh, they routinely perform attack and response simulations. Uh, annual annually execute tabletop response exercises uh, at the management level. So they've got the controls in place. Whether the controls are effective is another issue. Whether the board can understand whether they're effective seems to be lacking. Uh, and so we have to approach these issues systemically. We have to approach it as a complex system, control risk against those levels, and view the controls systemically. And uh, in my opinion, they had some, some pretty glaring weaknesses at the board level. And the tone at the top suffers and the whole system is weaker than it otherwise would be. They didn't have those weaknesses. Yeah. And, we, and we're seeing a lot of cries out there for, Hey, we, we want to get these, you know, CISOs or, you know, to have a seat at the board at the table with the board or to, you know, escalate this visibility of the board into what's really kind of happening from these incidents perspective. But to your point, a lot of organizations are not. So, what? Why are they not then, Bob? Why hold yourself accountable if you can't, if you can get away with not being accountable, <laughs> quite frankly. Right. Uh, but but uh, and I think investors should demand and pay more attention to this. Institutional investors should be looking at their, their portfolio companies and seeing if anybody on that board understands the complexity of these issues. I think there's a lack of understanding to the complexity of these issues. And I think uh, um, there's a lack of accountability. The SEC just pulled in their final rules the uh, the basic cybersecurity expertise disclosure provision. Uh, so they gave the boards a free pass on that, and they're letting them continue to kick the can down the road. And uh, you know, a common approach to this issue amongst the governance community has been, you know, here are the ten questions that directors should ask about cybersecurity. And my common response to that is the questions are useless if you don't understand the answers. Uh, so, so this is a differentiated risk. Uh, this is a unique risk. And you have to have cyber expertise in the boardroom to truly have the strongest possible governance system uh, around cybersecurity possible. So every time we see a major breach, you can always tie You can always go back to the leadership level. And usually you see uh, a very weak or some type of critical gaps at the board level, at the leadership level. So leadership matters. matters. What a novel concept. Right. Um, and why we're playing Russian roulette with this at the governance level is a mystery to me. Yeah. So, Serino, as, as a CISO, um, what's your experience like about this trying to get you or folks in your role up to that board level to, to have some connection and influence uh, to the board. What do you kind of see in that, you know, on, you know, actually in the field, in that role? Yeah, many a time what actually happens, you know, there are a lot of companies who are, uh, you know, uh, learning at least from their own experiences. And there are a lot of companies who are actually not ready to learn. For example, if there's a breach and let's say one of the company in the same domain, and the rest of the companies actually are learning, actually trying to, uh, you know, tighten up, uh, you know, how the information flows from CISO to CEO to actually the board, or at least directly having an ear from the board uh, to hear the CISO and actually, you know, to understand and regulate, uh, you know, their internal governance and everything, you know, is actually at least some companies are learning. But in my experience, actually, you know, there is definitely a lack of, even today I see everybody talking about what to report, but actually, you know, I've not seen that mandate coming from board, which is clearly saying that, you know, these are the things which are flowing from the top to down, you know, is mm -hmm. not 
about CISO going up, actually, it has to come from there because you know they understand the business because they are responsible for the dollars, right? CISO is one of the function under them. So if unless it comes from the top to down, because all the security or IT or any other things are always driven from the top down approach, actually. And that is a fundamental thing, actually, you know, industry leaders have to accept, all these board of directors have to understand that, you know, it is their readiness, which will actually ensure that the, you know, the bottommost person is also paying attention to, because when everything else happened better, why not security, you know, why not actually pay attention and give those dollars and mandate accountability, establish people, process will come, but I know, make people accountable, you, know, you one, two, three, you are actually doing this for me and get the direct information controlled by board, why not? I mean, I see that actually, you know, being a big challenge. Right, right. Jeff, Jeff, if I can just comment yeah, on that real quickly. And some boards get this. Um, yeah. You look at the FedEx board. Chris Inglis was chair of that tech and cyber committee that FedEx has had on their board for 20 years. GM discloses that they have five directors with cyber experience, may not be expertise, but uh, it could be, but ex experience as well. And their, their dependency on their information system is, is much less than the dependency that MGM has. So why do they get it? Why does FedEx get it? Why do so many boards not get it? And why are they still um, 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 avoiding the issue, uh, not moving forward on the issue? We know it needs to be done. The leading practices are there um, and the examples are there. It's just a matter of will and understanding. All right. So early then, when we have this situation of maybe a, a lack of direction or a disconnect between the, the hierarchical levels of, of an organization, how does that percolate its way down or, you know, make its way down into the technical controls and implementation and the prioritization and the risk driven, uh, <clears throat> inform or risk informed approach to implementation of the controls. How does that, transform or how does it play out and you know down there so the communication is critical we know that so if somebody is at the practitioner level and they understand security they have to help that CISO along I've been CISO I've been engineer you know all the way up and down the the spectrum as a CISO I had the advantage of being a lifelong practitioner so that really helped but I have had times where my leadership didn't really understand security. Either they were thrown in or they, they're doing their best. You know, sometimes they didn't care, but uh, it's probably uh, more than I should say. But they, they did not have the adequate skill set to really understand what security is. So as a practitioner, it was my job to look at the landscape of where I was and determine what is going to matter the most based on the risk up to Bob's point. It's all about risk. So if I understand the risk that, you know, in this case, gaming is my business. Hotel is my business. People getting into the rooms is part of that. You know, it gets more into the macro or the micro, but um, I need to tell my CISO what I need. And it's up to the CISO to, even though he may not understand completely to believe in me as a practitioner and give me the funding that I need to get something done. And that's uh, that goes back to like the military. How do you train a pilot? You give them gas money. How do you train a, 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 a warfighter on the field? You give them bullets. You know, they'll figure out what to do past that. So give them what they're asking for. And, you know, I know there's accountability and you can't just throw money. But 
the person may the person at the practitioner level may not have the skill set to communicate effectively why. So try to believe in that person, give them what they need. And, you know, we were talking earlier at the beginning about some of these basic blocking and tackling things that would have gone a long way. Whitelisting, segmentation, uh, dissimilar or disparate uh, authentication mechanisms to where you don't have, you know, sometimes I see people will use like Active Directory. I mean, the world runs on Windows. They'll uh, extend that to where it handles the radius authentication for the VPN. They get into the VPN, now they're into your Windows with one shot. They didn't have, you know, it's just, it's a pass through. So um, these are just elementary concepts from a security perspective that we know, you know, everybody here is a security person. We know it like the back of our hand, but to a board member, they may not have the concept of even um, how this stuff works, much less why you do it a certain way. So again, the communication from the practitioner, maybe it's in a director or whatever, um, that has to happen so that good decisions can be made based on good information. And again, the, we're talking about a huge company that's suffering greatly and it didn't have to be if somebody had both known what to do and implemented these basic procedures that could have potentially thwarted this. Yeah, Bob. So if you're if you're you know a, a little thing sitting on the shoulder <laughs> of the of the board um, or the CISO uh, at MGM, what would you be whispering in their ear at this point? Yeah, um, uh, I, it's it's simple. The the the, the solution to this answer uh, isn't sophisticated. The solution to this problem isn't sophisticated. Get a director with cyber expertise on the board that understands the, what management and the experts that you're hiring are telling you. Something noteworthy that's in their disclosures: the audit committee. Um, so they they do perform annual assessments of their cybersecurity program by external subject matter experts, regular external audits against best practices varying in scope, and they do segment their training for um, all personnel and uh, additional training for employees with customer and financial information systems access. So leading practices, but so where did it fall apart? And so, so heavily reliance on experts. So th think of this, you've got an audit committee with finance, accounting types, asset management types, and you've got the experts coming in and the CISO coming in, telling them what they're finding. Who, who on that committee has any ability to understand and stress test what, what is being told to them, either from the experts or the CISO? Uh, so they, they can delegate the work, but they can't delegate the responsibility. And if you don't have people that can understand the answers, ask the right questions and understand the answers to that questions, you've got an underperforming control point. So get somebody in the room that understands this issue. For an S&P 500 company, which they are improving this critical control materially, costs you $315,000 a year. That's what directors get paid in the S&P 500. Fix the control stop digging a hole for yourself. And so now they're going to have to explain this, right? And plaintiffs, mm -hmm. uh, to plaintiffs, attorneys, class action lawsuits, you said you were doing all this stuff. Obviously it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Who on your board understood any of what was being told to you? And, you know, they're going to try to, uh, uh, you know, explain their way out of that hole, but they dug themselves that hole and they should have known better. They should have known better also because they had the breach in 2000 that was significantly yeah. financial to them as well. And it's an easy solution to put in place, but they decided not to do it. They made a conscious decision not to do it at the governance level. 
Yeah. So, so Serena, this, this gap, you know, when you, maybe you're not getting the direction from the board, you know, what can a CISO do to, to drive this, right? If you're, you know, we, ideally we would see this top down direction coming, but if you're not getting that top down direction and you got to go bottom up, what, what, what are some things that a CISO, a CISO can do to, to try to affect some change, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, throw the elephant, uh, I guess they say. Yeah, I think then unfortunately, you know, SSO can only do certain things because, you know, their role is always to get all these things, you know, get the intelligence actually, you know, heard by the leadership because the decision making is actually sitting at the top. I know uh, when it is actually top down and is not working, the only and the best ways to do is actually to make little noise more actually about, you know, all these things and the incident happened in 2000 from 2000, you know, what actually the learnings and how all those actually been actually put to practice and how, the, of course, unfortunately, cannot go beyond the board or beyond the, you know, CEO or other things. Leadership is actually working because always the roles are, you know, tied up to these uh, levels only. So the only uh, thing I think I, I would do in case if I'm in that show is to continue to, you know, see that how these uh, independent pieces, which just Bob mentioned that, you know, are, uh, working together and actually the what is effectiveness of these independently run either external or internal verifications you know how effectively they are tied together i think that's where i will put to uh, a put and see can i quantify those risks and actually you know try to get that engine because unless it is numbered unless it is measured at least even aware board will not be able to take an action so i try to con communicate in terms of numbers in terms of actually you know kind of uh, measurable scalable uh, you know numbers i'll be able to constantly communicate and see you know if something or other gets attention from these people yeah that's uh you know uh, we talk about this you know this this challenge of yeah. you know when we want the 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 CISO to to have a seat at the board but the board and the executives they speak a different kind of language right yeah. to be able to uh, the, the, the financials, <laughs> the implications, a dollar amount associated with some kind of a risk. Um, Bob, have you seen what kind of strategies can a CISO take to speak the language of the board? What does the board want to see? How do they uh, justify that? Do you put the dollars to the risk. Yeah, you're right. There is a gap there, a communications gap, but it, but it's 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 not something that could can't be overcome. This is what we're all about at DDN. We've been working, training, developing CIOs, CISOs, and corporate directors to understand these issues in the right context. And we we have we have done ourselves a disservice by being too technical when we get in front of the boardroom. So we have an obligation to to uplift and talk about these issues in a different context. The SEC is going to force us to do that. So the SEC turned up the heat on the CISO. Um, CISOs want a board that's part of their team. They want a high performing board here because if they don't have a board that has their back on these issues, then the target's squarely on the CISO's back. And the SEC doubled down on that actually by giving the, the, the boards a pass. So CISO should be strong advocates for, for governance in this effect. And they get the training, get the development to talk about things in the context of materiality, uh, business value. Uh, you know, that's not impossible to do. It takes some thinking and some effort uh, and a different perspective on these issues. But CISOs, I, th I think Srinu said it, you're used to protecting value across the business because you're not going to put controls in place that aren't targeted to, to the value drivers of the business. So you, you have a lot more business acumen than the board gives you credit for. 
the story just needs to come out different. The communications just need to be uh, different and, and geared more towards the ear of what, what corporate directors focus on and less on the technical. Brilliant. So, uh, Ernie, so we've got, we, we've heard that this strategic, strategic stuff that, that needs that to needs kind to of happen, happen here. Um, but we've got an active incident at MGM, right? So, if you or that little guy standing on the shoulder, what kind of guidance would you give around uh, to the MGM uh, uh, CISO uh, and maybe even, you know, down to the, the tactical incident IR teams there about trying to make sense of the situation, a, a tactical uh, set of guidance? What would you really kind of, you know, provide, you know, to them some kind of consultation around? After the fact? After the fact, where we're at right now, that's right. Um, are, are you on the DNO policy? Because you're going to be <laughs> right. right, right. Um, well, the first thing is you've got to stop the hemorrhage. You've got to stop the bleeding. So we don't know that you know they're they're threatening further escalation, further attack, further exploit. So maybe it's an empty threat. Maybe they've been purged, but maybe they haven't. So the first thing is, well, one, you've got to, you've just got to stop the escalation. You've got to stop the the growth, the spread, the spidering, and you need adequate visibility to do that. So you have to have network systems, application visibility. And I know I'm getting a little more into the weeds than uh, the other guys, but you have to see what's going on. And then, and you know, this is a huge company. We're talking probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of systems and components within the systems. So you need, you need a tool, you know, human can't do this and you may need a couple of tools to do this effectively. So you see what's going on to make sure that everything is stopped. That looks to be hurtful. Once you get there now figure out how to keep the people out, get them out, you know, cause they could be just dormant and waiting, you know, waiting for you to go somewhere else and then they come up again. So, but once you, once you determine that the person's not there, you know, now it's time to start healing and, you know, restoration, hopefully they've got, you know, good backups, you know, things like that. Just again, basic blocking and tackling. But, uh, and one of the companies I was with, it was a, a multi-billion dollar uh, multinational company and I was the CISO there. I get a help desk ticket and I'm like, you know, why am I getting a help desk ticket? Um, but this lady's looking for an application to open a .ecc file. I'm like, elliptic curve cryptography, you know, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I reached out and uh, she's like, yeah, I've got this, um, this um, spreadsheet that I, I need the app installed. And she had contacted the help desk to get the app installed. Well, what we later found out was there were about 800,000 files that had been encrypted from ransomware from like two and a half years ago. I, I wasn't even with this company two and a half years ago. So we researched it and we tried to find out, you know, which workstation and which person, well, they had already been, um, you know, they had left the company and the workstation be re-imaged. Re so there was nothing there. Um, but I called down to the uh, backup guys. I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, how, how long do we keep backups? We keep for three years, I'm like full B for three years. Yeah. So, you know, we had that and hopefully MGM has something like that, that they can restore. And that's, you know, three years is pretty long for everything in a company, but just dumb luck or, you know, divine intervention, whatever we had it. So we recovered without a hiccup. Yeah. It, it wasn't hard. So, but you know, we had to figure out, I had to figure out that, all right, the two and a half years, this person's probably not in our systems after th uh, two and a half years. MGM doesn't have that benefit. You know, we're talking about a very acute and tactical situation. So 
now they've they've stopped the hemorrhage they've started looking at where they are now figure out how to restore and then you know this is what i call a tier three exercise so the first tier is proactive things like governance compliance architecture um figuring out the puzzle pieces to where you can um you can execute and be resilient and you know things that mgm clearly isn't at this point the the tactical tier is like day-to-day maintenance, deployment, engineering, configuration of the the components, whatever. But this third tier, the rightmost tier, is a reactive tier. So that's your incident response, and that's who's going to be doing this work. What's very important for once they get this restoration complete and they're back to a steady state, that they loop back around to that tier one, that leftmost tier, and using the the uh, postmortem uh, findings to make sure this can never happen again. So, and that that's just a, a circular thing. So the three tiers, then the circular wraparound is is so important. And you know, the board, the CISO, they need to be kept up to speed. They're, this is going to be a learning experience for everyone involved because you know we know nobody can know it all. And yeah, a mistake was made. Maybe multiple mistakes were made, but it's important to um, to see this through and the outcome should make you so much better than you would have been even if you had known it in the beginning. So, uh, and then share that information. You know, one of the things that uh, we do where I work, we, we are completely open. We find something, we tell everybody that can hear it, whether it would be architecture or incident findings or, you know, mitigation strategies we tell people. And so it's important for this postmortem to come out and be a textbook learning uh, example for the classroom and for other boards and, you know, CISOs around everywhere. Uh, Because, you know, this, this is bad, but it doesn't have to be, you know, the end and, you know, looking poorly on them forever. They can really use this as a, uh, a launching platform to get way better. Yeah, and that is it's actually you know something we we talk about in the the cyber crisis management leadership program is the mindset of the leaders as they go into these breaches can can really be a game changer. And if you go into them thinking, okay, look, we, we've got a challenge here, right? It's, it's a little bit of excitement, right? Okay, how how are we going to do this, right? You know, and be excited about it as opposed to oh, woe is me, right? And you kind of end up in this uh, a truly, even from a leadership, in a very reactive mode when really, to your point, you really want to be able to kind of get in and, and begin to feel like you've got some control. You're, 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 you are really kind of driving the direction of this kind of going forward. Uh, Serena, how does that get implemented practically? How does a uh, you know, when you when you have an incident like this, how do you how do you kind of set you know set the stage for, hey team, I know this is a a, a, a bad situation, but you know let, let, let's try to look at it in a in a positive light as much as possible. How do you paint that picture? Absolutely, and I think you know if you have a complete picture of you know the situation and all the information is known to you, you'll be able to put a brave you know bigger brave you know face in front of the team and to be able to actually you know attack that with morale of the people because you know unless if once the morale of the people you know involved actually goes down we'll actually be further more in trouble actually so the first thing is to really see that we are i mean i have a control over it and i have a complete visibility of what's happening so that you know i'll be able to put uh, that brave face and actually talk to the team to motivate them further and also as rightly mentioned by you know Ernie, uh, you know Ernie, basically that you know to eradicate to contain and actually to 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 eradicate and actually to be able to actually you know 
restore uh, because each re restoration you're doing is going to you know pump up the energy within the teams actually you know you're actually showing them the the progress which is actually made and actually you're using that to actually further motivate them to actually to the next one because each server or each segment of you know thing which is recovered each application which is recovered is going to be boosting the morale of the people so kind of you know play that like an active war room and actually start painting the good picture of what we are gaining back versus actually what is still actually under the control of the adversary so i think i'll play the game of actually using what is being actually retained versus actually what is actually you know being uh, uh, further to be done so I, I think that kind of picture i will paint and actually continue from there yeah yeah bob so in these big situations like this and obviously there's a a technical element uh, that you know you have to go in and do the blocking and tackling and and cut them off at the corners and you know do that that kind of a thing but uh from a director and a board setting this tone um you know how do we how do we make that happen right? how, how do we get the directors to figure out how to shape the psychology of the response in the postmortem, you almost always see board reform after the fact. Uh, SolarWinds did that. They they took uh, cybersecurity risk oversight out from the NAM and Gov committee. It wasn't even in the audit committee. It was in the NAM and Gov, which is a, a step forward, at least, because they consciously said the audit committee is the worst place for it, which we believe it is, too. Uh, they put a tech and a cyber committee in place, and they added directors that understand these issues to the board. So you almost always see transformation at the governance level after the fact the 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 attackers are a very effective regulator for corporate governance on these issues uh, you know as you would expect but it's going to be forced uh, forced onto the uh, the MGM board uh, and then there's going to be the shareholder derivative lawsuits um the, there's there's going to be uh, an extended period of litigation and um you know much of that liability tail could have been mitigated and you know we we try to view this issue well we are trying to mitigate litigation risk here that's that's a real liability that we try to mitigate and we try to mitigate real levels of business risk as well so you know having the board as a functional part of both of those uh potential exposures um you know reduces that exposure uh, as you would expect it would um so, so yeah the postmortems will kick in both at the management level and at the governance level and people will be held accountable to whether where did this fail why did it fail um, what was the real issue? And, and they'll transform and they'll hopefully get better. But after 2000, when they didn't take actions on that last breach, uh, I don't know what it's going to take for them to, to get the memo and get the get the message to do some of the basic blocking and tacking at the leadership level. Ultimately, this is a leadership failure um, because that system is not as strong and secure as it could have been if leadership was was informed and, and, and knowledgeable about these issues. All right. So what do you think Bob is now, is, or maybe, you know, is it a direct uh, 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 causation here or, uh, or not, but we have uh, Caesars, you know, comes out yeah. and now says, Oh, Hey, <laughs> we were also breached. You know, it, it, it just, you know, just, is it because, well, we finally got to a point where we're ready, or is it, uh-oh, <laughs> something else driving why they maybe stepped up to the plate here? Yeah, sir, if you, if you were if you were a hacker doing some targeting, uh, uh, are, are they paying attention to uh, corporate governance? Does the board have anybody in the room that understands these issues? Maybe that's an indication that this is probably a weaker control environment throughout the organization than a board like GM 
or FedEx that has leadership that is actively engaged and actively advises management on these issues. I, I, I did a comment, uh, you know, so if, if your audit committee is governing this issue, just, you know, hang up a sign that says hack here, <laughs> right? <laughs> Start here. Uh, you know, we can do better. Leaders can do better. The boards can do much better. And it's not a heavy lift is what's what's really infuriating uh, to me. Uh, we should know better and we should be doing much better uh, than we are. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, uh, Ernie, I'll, I'll throw, we got a question out there, there, a little bit of a technical one. We've got uh, John Anderson's is asking, how does ransomware propagate throughout the system without administrative rights? Ransom, yeah, I'm off of mute. Ransomware is just an application in most cases. So whatever the person that is executing the ransomware has access to, it's there, it's vulnerable. And this person can, you know, that doesn't have to be the local machine, it's anywhere in the network or systems of networks that they, they would have, uh, whatever they have exposure to, they don't have to uh, escalate. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, escalation of privilege, that, that's not necessary to have a devastating attack. And with, again, the lack of segmentation, the lack of uh, disparate and discrete authentication between systems, um, that, that kind of tells me that, you know, MGM doesn't have that in place right now. Um, so, you know, whatever that person has access to. So there again, segment, limit, uh, back to the blocking and tackling. This, this application whitelisting or allow listing, that could have single-handedly prevented this. Yeah, the only workaround that I know of to application whitelisting, and this is a um, a very contained use case. It's it's a difficult use case, browser-based ransomware that can do calls to the system. So in that case, an application would have access to the the system because it executes in the context of the browser. So the the memory space, the CPU threads, uh, they're they're all done through the browser. So there are technologies that will allow a browser to do system level uh, interaction. And that's, uh, you know, back in the day with Internet Explorer, that was why the vulnerabilities were so potent was because it could access the system. Those have greatly been diminished at this point, but they still exist. And again, this is a very uh, niche uh, ransomware that can do this. But I don't believe, I don't believe that that's what was used here. Just my gut tells me this was a straight up application that executed its own its own entity, its own process. And with that, whitelisting alone could have thwarted this. And that's one control. Yeah, it's not the easiest control to implement, but it's one thing to do. You know, there's you know, a bunch of things you can do, but this one thing could have completely eliminated the situation. Yeah. So uh, again, Serena, back to that, back to basics and what we've heard from, you know, Ernie and, and, and Bob and even yourself is, you know, we, we, we have this concept of defense in depth or layered defense. Um, how do, how, you know, how, how do you, you know, what can you recommend to organizations on, you know, how do we get back to the basics, right? You've got, so much technology out there, right? And all the vendors are promising, you know, this holy grail of you. You know, you come to us and <laughs> you you are you are safe. You have not have to think twice. And then they do, and then they they think they're doing due care, but they find there, yeah, there's there's a lot of just basic stuff. So why? Are, how are we missing this basic stuff? How is that not happening? And 
Uh, absolutely. I think there are two problems I see. Uh, one is basically where we need to segregate, we don't segregate. For example, I think you mentioned very clearly that, you know, whitelisting applications and actually network segmentation or isolating where systems actually can possibly done. Even if somebody gains access to, let's say, one particular network, you know, they should be able to actually contain them because of the segregation. Whitelisting and you know, all this block, block listing, all this fundamentally, you don't need sophisticated technology people to do it. You know, you need people who actually execute those things in a systematic architecture where. That is where. So where we, we need to segregate, isolate, we don't do. But all those audit findings which are coming, I think Bob was actually saying, you know, hack me. So what we do is we only treat every symptom only there. We don't really correlate to the next symptom and actually see what a bigger problem it actually going to become. You know, the snowball effect actually, right? So if, if for example, let's say one application-related vulnerability is reported by CISO or anybody, or, you know, two CISO by somebody, as long as, you know, they're only treating that and actually not relating that, you know, in what way this vulnerability would have been actually, you know, if exploited <coughs> would have caused impact on other systems, you know? Am I having those enough boundaries to be able to actually, you know, diff, you know contain it here itself, you know? And in fact, you need to have that honeypots available so that when any hacker comes in, they'll be able to actually, they themselves should really be confused. You know, what's happening here? If somebody is looking for a privileged access for Srinu, there should be multiple Srinus in the network system itself for them to be able to go behind which, which identity I'm going to actually gain access to. So there are a lot of technologies available and many of them actually goes to basics. That's where, you know, I picked up the backs to basic as a concept because we are fundamentally trying always look at the sophisticated solutions sold by somebody for millions and billions of dollars. We're not focusing on network, network segmentation, the basic things like encryptions, basic things like, you know, I am not going to treat this particular vulnerability only in this context. Let me build the context. Let me correlate and expand the scope of, you know, the damage it can cause so that you know i fix all of these instead of only one i think those are the two major areas which i'm i'm thinking you know uh, uh, we are lacking you know where we are supposed to segregate we don't do and where we are supposed to you know combine everything and think we don't think all right so all right so we talked about yeah go ahead bob yeah jeff real quick what, what trino and ernie are saying is um i harp on the leadership failures but uh, we're really talking about systemic cyber risk. This is a new dimension of risk and it's manifesting itself because of the nature of the complex digital system that we've created. Uh, and so we're not paying attention to risk in the right way. We're not understanding systemic risk in the right way. We're not mitigating systemic risk in the right way. Uh, and so we're going to continue to be vulnerable until we do that because the attack tactics and the attack strategies are targeting that systemic weakness. So we, we, we've got to develop uh, uh, the, the, this aspect of, of uh, uh, enterprise risk much more effectively and apply it. All right, Bob. So we've heard, uh, you know, Ernie talking about the the tactical, the technical, the down in the trenches, and Shrino's talking about the the basic foundational things that we need to that that an MGM and all organizations uh, need to do. Uh, can you take us out with your thoughts on what's next? What's should the board at uh, MGM? and the leadership be thinking about now? What is on their horizon? What do they know is coming down the line? You're certainly, you made some mention about, you know, likely gonna be some legal stuff happening. So what do they need to do? You know, you know, they're striking this balance between dealing with the here and now, but also, hey, they, they, 
must see what's coming on the horizon. Yeah, the, the solution for them is is fairly straightforward. Get a director on the board that has cyber expertise and take cyber oversight out from the audit committee and put a tech and cyber committee in place. Tech and cyber, because digital innovations are really important to their value proposition. And you have to consider the risks alongside those issues. They, they can implement that in 60 days. Okay, but but what do they do today? I mean that that board that is there today, they are in the midst of it. What should they be thinking about the next sixty days? That's going to impact everybody. You know, that's on the board today. Yeah, well, they're dealing obviously with the, with the management problems, but they're going to have to lawyer up and deal with the litigation, right? Because because that's coming, and you have a board that's sitting here and they don't have the expertise to really contribute to that discussion in a meaningful way. So they're listening to the experts, they're listening to the management team, and they're fairly passive and they're dealing with the PR nightmare that that has been uh, created. Uh, and I think a lot of respects and exacerbated by their own um, uh, failures uh, or weaknesses, let's put it that way. Um, so, so, so yeah, they, they've got to deal with the crisis. They've got to stop the bleeding. As, as Ernie said, they're a part of that process. Uh, and then they've got to deal with the PR and the litigation that's coming. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, fantastic. It's, it, it's been amazing having you all on the show. Uh, any, uh, Ernie, Srinu, Bob, you want to leave any, uh, kind of closing thoughts for, uh, maybe the folks from MGM that are, you know, listening in going, boy, maybe see if we can pick something up from these guys. <laughs> but my final comment, uh, digital and cyber success starts uh, at the top. Unfortunately, so does failure. Right. My thought, um, they need a hacker. Let's just be real. They need somebody with an offensive skill set. And that's really any company or any organization at this point. You need to find somebody with that offensive skill set that you trust because you don't want them, you know, with keys. Uh, but find that person you can trust that has that offensive skill set. The board should listen to them. And often the, the, those people are able to be effective in the board just because of their reputation. You know, when somebody has that skill set, when their mouth opens, everybody else's closes. So uh, find that person that you can trust and bring that person into the organization whatever the cost is, because without that, there's, there's two methodologies. There's the patch and pray, you know, you patch it and then you pray, nothing happens. And then there's uh, actually knowing that nothing can happen. And that's when you've got this offensive that you can test it, that, yeah, I know for a fact, this is impenetrable uh, based on my knowledge. And of course that person's growing all the time. So find that person, get them in there now, like you're saying, and then keep them on board so that you can leverage them in the future. All right, Srinu, you want to close this out? Absolutely. I think, you know, I think what Ernie mentioned, you know, I would like to, uh, everybody in that board and people to think like hackers because, you know, you need to be your own hacker because unless you know your threats and actually weaknesses, nobody else actually will be able to help you. So you need to know uh, what, you know, in fact, everybody has to be masters of their own, uh, they have to, everybody has to think like a criminal a little bit so that, you know, they can actually be offensive in terms, you know, put all those things in place and, uh, be sure that you know you're not in the you know you know patch and pray kind of a situation. I mean, he stole my words, and I love the, <laughs> the way actually Ernie put it very, very you know right. You know, you need to be having hackers actually doing the job for you instead of actually someone else actually doing you know in a very adverse and you know impactful way. I think that that will be my final comments. Yeah. Great, thank you, uh, Bob, Strainu, Ernie. Thank you again. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff. Thank you very much.
know you know you're feeling better. After deep dose. 